0: as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge Lounge 15th Anniversary Show. We'll do a quick look back at the last 15 years and a bigger look at To the next 15 years on a show where nothing is off topic. I am original FBA Clown carrier Rick Morris, and we have the same anniversary show panel as the last two years, plus one. We'll get to that in our introductions. The 2020 anniversary was a look back at the 2010s and ahead of the 2020s. Now, that was, of course, about 11:59 p.m. before the coronavirus was widely known, so most of our sessions were moot. So, 2021, we gave ourselves a mulligan, and that's why we brought back the exact same panel because it was the folks making predictions for the decade, the year before. So, two years ago, we looked back at most of the history of this show, most of the history we've covered. But uh, 2007 to 2009 weren't a part of that. And since we have another original dignitary on the panel, we're going to start with a look at what we might and might not have foreseen on the night that we first raised the curtain in the old Sports Talk Network studios, January fourteenth, 2007. Two years ago, on this anniversary show, I proclaimed that original dignitary, my old friend and fellow Ohio University Bobcat, Chris Galloway, proclaimed him our chief futurist because of his keen interest in trends and technology. It was on a, t- a uh, trip to watch our Bobcats compete on the gridiron in the fall of 06, with Chris sharing his 50 airline seats as he so often generously has, that we fleshed out many of the concepts for the show, where nothing is off topic. He's been our lead NFL contributor the last few years and essentially the conscience of the Pantheon. That's our panel where we induct the best of the best in all walks of life into the FBH Lounge Pantheon. And by the way, my first prediction on the day is that we do another Pantheon segment in 2022. Now, these panels like this, these are essentially Pantheon adjacent. We all draw on each other's insights in all the different areas that we're looking at. I cannot imagine doing one of these without This guy, Original Dignitary, Chris Galloway. Good to have you in, my friend. Rick, I am thrilled as always to be here with you and the boys and and looking forward to today's episode. It's always a lot of fun, yeah, I know this is going to be no different, and uh, there's uh, a couple guys that you have done a number of these panels with. Uh, Next up is one of them. We've got a guy that I've known the longest on the panel, having attended the esteemed Valley Forge High School with him and his brother Davey and hung out with them ever since. This guy is a participant for many years in our FantasyDraftHelp.com expert mock drafts in tennis and golf long enough to remember a gal from a tennis website being passive-aggressive condescending because she thought we undervalued Andy Murray that year. Now, I almost feel that because she was a nice lady, but spoiler alert, we were right and she was wrong. This gentleman always brings the artistic perspective to any of our panels because that is right where his skill set is located. They say that a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged by reality. If so, this guy has had many such figurative muggers in the past five years plus. Dignitary, John Adams. Good to have you in, my friend. It's good to be here. Good to be here discussing uh, all the topics. Uh, uh, love the introduction. Appreciate it. And Pat had the answer for it i the say. Sorry, Andy Murray. Uh, yeah, good to be here. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, we were right. She was wrong about uh, Andy Murray. Nice lady. I almost feel bad bringing that up, but uh, I will never uh, cease to bring up things that are funny. Next up, uh, we have a guy. Uh, I sometimes introduce folks like this as dignitaries before there were dignitaries. Now, this means folks I work with at the old Sports Talk Network on shows that would be influences on what this show would become. For example, our fifth anniversary show took place with one of these guys, my friend Ken Datweiler from the Old Wife's Pitch Show, who recorded a panel with Chris and me. But the first of any of these dignitaries, before there were dignitaries, is this guy, my old friend Ron Glasnap, who brought me back into broadcasting after a post-college hiatus. Send your hate mail to him. And uh, the aforementioned Dave Adams and I, we replaced one of the original Katurian broadcasters, Peter Brown, on Ron's reality check show on the Sports Talk Network. For two-plus years, I got to have fun and chase greatness with these guys. Uh, It's a period that I will always remember, and uh, on a personal level, it was very instrumental helping me heal after the passing of my mom. Ron is always the voice of reason in any room that he's in. Whenever you get together with him, always bet the over on the number of times he rolls his eyes while recounting some idiocy that he came across. He is a longtime veteran of TV and radio, producing on America's North Coast, my good friend, Ron Glasnap. How you doing, my man? What an introduction from an OU guy to a Miami guy. I just don't think I'd ever heard that before. <laughs> a little bit of kumbaya between our rivals. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, up next, I don't want to run afoul of any copyright, so I'm not going to pronounce this the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, but uh, I have known my friends at the Patrones since the mid-2000s when they had to show the unheard scene on the Sports Talk Network featuring Bands unsigned to record labels, and uh, I've been a part of their ventures, and they are part of this show ever since. I was one asked, once asked by original dignitary Tim Faust if Patron Brothers was a nickname or their actual name. I said actual name because if it was a nickname based on the classiness of what they drank, they'd be the Smurtoff Brothers. But uh, let's take them one at a time. Matt Patron, he was to have been on our 2020 anniversary panel. Uh, he had a last-minute snag. Uh, let's call it a young man's winter vacation. So he was not on last year's panel because it was just the same group running back our 2020s predictions. When I first found out some years ago that Matt studied photography when he was younger, I wasn't really surprised because uh, a lot of times you can count on him to really kind of get a different perspective on whatever you're you're talking about. I expect more of that today from my good friend, Dignitary, Matt Petrone. How you doing, Matty? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on the show, Rick. And yes, I I really like photography. I, uh took me to it for a while, I kind of got away from it, and now I'm still trying to take pictures, and it, it does help to get a different perspective on different things, and that's what I like to do. Well, we've already we got that one. <laughs> well, we're uh, we're coming on that uh, today. Uh so The last guy up uh, to introduce, what can be said about Anthony Patrone that hasn't already been said? He is the creator of The Unheard Scene. He's the co-producer of many great segments between that entity and this show, including his creation, the Fantasy Rock Band draft. He's on a very short list of the hardest working guys at the Old Sports Talk Network, and they call him the grandfather of the Cleveland music scene. Dignity, dignitary Anthony petro How you doing, Anthony? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Wow. I guess that grandfather term took its toll overnight. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. I told you I'd work that in. I try. Right. I find a way. And I'm <laughs> also a big fan of John Morant. Yes, you are. <laughs> I still remember the prospect days here. You talking about John Morant. Nothing will be more awesome than that. So as we're going, and I don't think we could have seen John or Ja or whatever coming on uh, January 14th, 2007. Uh, he was a little far out on the uh, distant horizon. But I want to start off, like I said, this will sort of be the appetizer to the main course of, of taking a look back at the time, because again, we've largely covered a lot of this kind of stuff, but I want to kind of lay out some big developments and see what anybody else thinks about what might or might not have been foreseeable at that time. But uh, on January 14th, 2007, uh, if you're looking at things, it was possible to foresee greater political division in this country, because the, uh, the Carter administration was the last one to really have great divisiveness within a political party. Really, ever since the 1980s, There was a brief respite after 9-11 for a few months, but ever since then, it's been pretty much steadily escalating red team versus blue team, just kind of exploding partisanship. So even the depth that it's gotten to, I don't know that that would have come as a surprise 15 years ago if you were paying attention. Uh, Now, we were still several months away from the debut of the iPhone, and uh, on that cold night, three-plus years away from the debut of the iPad, further still from a smart TV, so... Outside of maybe Chris, it might have been hard for a lot of people to kind of see the road to to where all this kind of led us, uh, technology-wise, here in January 2022. We had a historic economic crash not long after we launched the show, and one stemming from a historic pandemic sort of bookending this time period of 15 years well, sports just kind of kept going and going as they were fueled by this un- these unthinkable lots of TV money. Uh, they were proclaimed to be one of the last bastions of so-called DVR-proof programming. Same development led, uh, however, blessedly to the smashing of Vince McMahon's Monopoly in October 2019 with the launch on TNT of the great new promotion AEW. So. Some things maybe we could have seen coming. Some, a lot of things I think were probably difficult to imagine 15 years ago. Uh, Chris, as one of the guys sitting there in the studio with me that night, looking back on where we were, uh, how much do you see uh, of, of what has unfolded since that it seemed kind of uh, easy, easy to anticipate or possible to anticipate to you? Well, I, I think for me, the biggest thing is, um, uh, the technological advancements. You know, as you know, I'm a, I'm a, I pride myself on a curious, being a curious student of human history and, and then how these things accelerate. Um, so obviously can't, one can't foresee all the specific gadgets and all the rest of that kind of stuff, but, right. but for me, the, the, the constant acceleration of our technology and our learning of the world and the universe around us, um, just marches forward and, and expands and gets faster and and and, 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 and just imagine the, the things that we're going to learn now with the James Webb telescope, um, starting to unfold and making its, its, its appointed rounds to its destination so that we can start looking literally to the beginning of the universe, looking back in time, the things we're going to discover that we don't have a clue about right now you think about what we learned from the Hubble telescope, um, and what we were able to see, and it is, the, the universe is going to open up and get a lot smaller for us very soon. It's going to be mind boggling, I think, for a lot of people. Um, so for me, it's, it's just the, as we move forward and we, and we get medical advances, technology advances, nanotechnology. This, I mean, that was something that we talked about, I know, in, on a show years ago. Um, the idea that even eventually we'll be, literally repairing ourselves with nanotechnology robots. Um, I honestly don't think in the next 15 years that, um, it's, I think it's very possible 15 years from now, we have enough advancements uh, medically that, um, that there's even the possibility that we reach the, the precipice of aging itself being stopped. Um, we're close. We're very close. Um, and I, I don't think a lot of people really actually even know that. Um, you look at the DNA sequencing, you look at, you know, those types of things, an understanding of how we can manipulate them, uh, CRISPR technology, it's, we are right on the precipice of some amazing change in human development and evolution. Um, and, uh, you know, it's 15 years from now, it's, it, it may finally be upon us. So. I'm not surprised that like, the last 15 years, I mean, who could predict every little goofy gadget, but um, there's 15 years from now, if we're all lucky enough to be doing this, the 30th anniversary of this, we'll look back on these 15 years and say, holy cow, I can't believe that Rick Morris is going to get to live forever. What a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, tragedy's in the eye of the beholder, my man. Some people will uh, treasure that a little bit more, though. So. <laughs> but uh in, in in looking back at the uh the, the last 15 years on anything that may or may not have been foreseeable and or may have been uh the most instrumental uh developments or even the most interesting uh, on a personal level does anybody have have any additional kind of thoughts to add to this here as as far as the road we've traveled uh, here at the halfway point to our 30th anniversary uh, i've got a, a question for chris um should we Based on what you said, should we be unsettled by this? Should we be, uh, uh, excited about this? Are we talking about, like, cell replacement? Uh, like, uh, what are we, what are we talking about? Like, are you, do you find this, I guess the technology as an aging person, I'm thrilled to know there's ways to kind of recharge, uh, slow the process. But, you know, I guess there's this whole, uh, issue with the, uh, uh, you know, ethical morality, but I don't know. You just people will be unsettled by this. What would you be the answer to that? Like, well, I, I listen, John, I, I think this, it opens up a, a Pandora's box of all kinds of issues. Um, uh, and not necessarily Pandora's box in terms of, um, you know, uh, from a negative standpoint, I mean, obviously Pandora's box is a negative connotation, but, um, just the, the things that it raises, and I think you're, you're pointing to, um, I don't, I don't think we should be unsettled by it. You know, I sort of joke that, you know, I'm either going to be the last guy that dies as the scientists held the press conference to announce they figured out how humans can live forever and I'll have just missed it by just minutes. Um, or, or they will finally figure out how to stop aging and you can stop aging with this new serum. Um, but the problem is you can't reverse it. So if you're 25, congratulations, but Chris will be 94 and crippled, so you can live on forever, Chris, as an old crippled man. Um, uh, joking aside, um, you already see now that the understanding, even in something simple, that the fact that they've determined that humans, if, if we take your blood, John, and we start transfusing you, taking yours out and infusing in the blood of Six, seven, eight year old humans. You actually rejuvenate. It has an effect on you in terms of cell regeneration. You start to get the benefits that, that you see in a youthful person. Um, that's why there's even, you know, internet conspiracies now that these billionaires like Tom Cruise, you know, they're, they're taking children's blood and putting it in them. Hell, some of them might be. There are actually businesses in the world in other countries that are already trying to do this. Like you can be a 40 year old and get, you know, 14 year old blood pump to be, you know, obviously in unregulated places. Um, so, I mean, even something so basic like that, they're finding all these benefits that happens in terms of the aging process and the health of the of the people that gather, you know, that go through a transfusion like that. Um, so, and that's not even DNA modification and all the rest of that. I mean, the aging process, the reason we all age, and we now know this, is, is that each time cells you know, split and, and replicate and duplicate, there's errors, there's failures, it, they break down, right? So if you can modify that, to stop the breakdown, you stop aging. Um, it's actually conceptually not that difficult. Now, getting to the, like, getting the cells to not err, and cancer works the same way. Cancer, we all have cancer in us. It's cells that have mutated and gone wrong. We, we are getting closer and closer on all of that sort of unlocking how to stop those processes. And, and so, to your question, what does that mean? Well, we already know that humans, the human population in this world is going to peak some time around 2040, 2050 and start to shrink. That's happening. Um, the UN is finally, after several years of being shown failures in their own population tables, that, in fact, humans are probably going to start shrinking so rapidly as a species on this planet, that we run the risk in you know two three hundred years of being down to just a few million people on the planet. The so what does that mean for us if everybody can live forever, or well, at least the aging process becomes one that's so manageable? Well, societally, I mean, you're going to have to make some decisions, right? I mean, you're probably going to see governments trying to get more involved in who you know who's born when you can have children, when you can't to manage population levels, if everybody's living forever, right? I mean, then you run a risk of overpopulation. Um, you know, so there's a lot of societal, economic fallout from something like that um, that I don't think we can even fully grasp at this point and how it changes how we operate society. Um, and, and I think that will be the biggest challenge, to your point, Um, if we ever fully reach that point, um, that they're gonna have to figure out, there's gonna have to be some societal construct that says, you know, we've got, we've gotta manage it. So, um, you know, that's a whole other ball of wax in terms of, you know, where are we going as a human species and and, and within our cultures. Well, that's a lot to think about, and uh, clearly uh, you're going to have, I know, a lot more of that when you get to the next uh, 15 years. And uh, there, there's a reason that I'm uh, holding you for, uh, for last on that, day, Chris, because I'm not going to make anybody follow that. Uh, I certainly would not want to, uh, as far as my predictions, for the next 15 years. Uh, before we start getting into that and things that we're looking ahead to, anybody else got any other kind of thoughts about uh, the road travel to, as I say, the halfway point to our 30th anniversary? All then. That appears to be a no. So, in looking ahead to the next 15 years, uh, I will go first. I'll get mine out of the way. Yeah. It's uh, just kind of basic on, on my part. I was kind of looking ahead. I was kind of hoping I could be a little bit more creative as far as anticipating inventions and everything. And I'm always notorious on shows like this for bemoaning the fact that science has failed us and not given us a jetpack. I'm, I'm impatient to get that jetpack and be able to travel that way, but uh, science is apparently sleeping on the job. So I'm going to go back to what I said two years ago in my predictions for the 2020s, and I'm going to extend this out to 2037, and uh, I was the sort of token dystopian of the group, uh, the doom and gloom guy, and uh, two years in, uh, boy, of all the things you don't want to be right about, but uh, I've been closest to the mark when you look at the last two years because 20% of the way through the 2020s, it has been nothing but shite thus far, and uh, I don't know if there's any reason to expect that to change over the next Fifteen years. Let's look at some of the things I was talking about that Much greater divisiveness, wars, assassinations. Haven't seen any major wars yet, but uh, give it time. Looks like uh, Russia and or China could be on the verge of starting something in various places. Major assassinations. Hasn't happened, at least domestically, but uh, as much as I hate to say it, the way things are going, give it time uh economic doom uh i didn't foresee the return of serious inflation after 40 plus years i didn't see that specifically but uh you know you got a thing like the national debt i knew that was going to be bad and that's going to be bad in the sense of making it harder to fight inflation so it's it's going to be a tough way out of this we had a pretty serious recession in the early 80s when the fed was trying to clamp down on inflation the last time and that's what it might take this time around i mean i hope not but i don't see too many ways of dealing with it. Uh, I will say, uh, also on climate change, which I, I got to admit, I don't mean to damage any of Chris's street cred, but uh, Chris was one of the guys who kind of you know, convinced me that yes, to at least some degree, there probably is something happening here in this way. And it's not always as easy for guys on Chris's and my side of the political spectrum to cop to that. But uh, I do at this point, as I've seen enough uh, you know, evidence to acknowledge some uh, reality there, but I fear the cure as much as the disease, because throttling back economic growth, everything you do to try and get rid of fossil fuels before we're ready to do so, that's part of the problems that we're having right now economically, is going too far in that direction, throttling back growth. I, I'm afraid that's only going to get worse over a period of time. Uh, what we have seen over the last couple of years is a little bit of, for the first time, sort of a backlash against the whole woke movement. And I do think that that is going to continue uh, over a period of time. And I've had many, many friends who've been largely apolitical who uh, seem to have been uh, troubled by the whole woke movement over a period of time. But the woke people are digging in their heels. So ultimately, that's just going to lead to more divisiveness uh, as, as that happens there. And like I said, I tried to anticipate any kind of technology stuff. But, uh, you know, there is, of course, the Internet of Things that they keep saying is coming with 5G and
1: driverless
0: cars I, I think those are going to be fairly predominant by 2037 uh if not all over the road maybe it'll just be driverless cars by then I don't know but uh my crystal ball was kind of foggy when it came to that stuff but as far as just kind of general doom and gloom unfortunately my, my crystal ball is always clear when I see that kind of depressing stuff so uh i deliberately tried to get the uh all the depressing stuff out of the way uh at the outset that if anyone would like to jump in and disabuse me and tell me, uh, no, Rick, it may not be as bad as that, uh please feel free. Hey, Rick. Uh, so as far as the technology thing goes, you know, I just got a new smartphone, and I don't think I'll even be able to figure out how to use it before I get my next one. So the technology is always going to change. And as far as the driverless cars, I mm-hmm. think you're right on that. I think that's going to happen, as scary as it sounds, because, yeah, now you can blame it on the car instead of your own stupidity. But at the right, same point, right. it might be safer. You know, if we all have driverless cars, and the cars all autom- automatically do the speed limit, and the cars automatically know what to do, and you don't have to do anything but sit there. So it might be safer. But then again, it might well, be it, scary. You know what, Matt? Well, I, I hate to be a contrarian here, but let me just let me just say this, and everybody's going to hate me for pointing this out: safer until they get hacked. By people looking at yeah. starting mass accidents. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't know how much of a movie fan you are, but on one of the Fast and Furious movies, they hacked every car with a smart chip, and they made it literally mm. rain cars. They took every mm. car in the city of New York and turned it into a ghost driver to just to take out the one. I mean, I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm not saying that can't happen. I'm just, it, it's scary to know that that technology is out there, and if they're coming up with it for movies, why can't they come up with it in real life? And what's to stop it from happening? So essentially, Hollywood has already said, hey, hackers, here's some stuff you could do to cause mass chaos in the future. Exactly. Thanks, exactly. Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. And I would, I would add to that and say, Rick, I think you're right about that. In fact, I think we will reach a point where if you want, if you don't, if you want to drive, um, you're going to need some level of a special licensure that they will make it so that driverless cars interconnected with each other are the norm. And if you, Rick Morris, say, hey, I've got my, you know, my 73 Cutlass, you know, you're going to have to get a lot of special insurance and licensure and approval to actually go out on the road. And, And they may even limit you where you can actually drive it yourself. I think that's the more likely future, you know, point 20, 25 years off in the distance. It, it won't be a function of driverless cars being the oddity. the guy actually doing it himself, the flawed human will be the oddity. I'm gonna push back but, uh I think I, I do think there will be some form of driverless car. I think that's going to be uh, more constrained in terms of maybe big cities. This country just isn't set up for widespread, you know, you, I think about the electric vehicles. Okay, we'll try driving to like the upper peninsula of Michigan and then you're really going to find, uh, uh, just the logistics of, of making a long road trip in an all electric vehicle, uh, especially with the charge time. You know, you can pull into a gas station, 10 minutes later you're back on the road or less, you gas up and go. I do, I do see the driverless cars starting with like your Amazon deliveries, those type of things. Uh, and then maybe maybe in big cities. The other piece is, you know, there's a generation of people, and, you know, obviously we're dying out. We're some of the last people that will remember life without a cell phone. But there will be people that always want to drive, physically drive. I enjoy it. It's freedom to get out. To, you, know, you take a drive somewhere. And maybe that will go away. And that will eventually become, you know, something like – uh Ready Player One, that, that, that movie that's where you're in your own house and you're doing all these things, you're not going anywhere. I'm not sure where that'll go. But I just think there's always going to be people that enjoy driving. So we'll see. Uh, I'm hopeful uh, uh, for some of the technology. I've driven a hybrid. I like it. I don't know if I'd be ready to make that jump to all electric. and certainly not ready to do a driverless car. Because I kind of like that control. But that's just me. You know, John, it's um, there the Generation before us would say, hey, well, we'll ne- people will never stop working. People like to work. Yeah, well, look at the current generation. Um, so, right. And, and as far as the, the electric thing goes, it's, it's really, it's, it's an infrastructure thing that will happen very rapidly. It, it's already, it's already there. Gas stations are just going to start having electric units at them. Um, so they're already, you know, where the, the they're going to be is there. You know, if you look back in the first few years of automobiles, there were very few gas stations within the country. I mean, very, very few. Um, and, and within like five years between Standard Oil and, and Ford, they made sure there were gas stations everywhere. So um, I assure you, you're going to see a boom in electric charging stations with the development and. Uh, around the country, there's going to be tens of thousands of them in the next couple of years. Again, they're going to come up everywhere. Um, it and is that what you're about is passing up and going—that is a—that's a—that's a cultural lifestyle change, right? Until so they figure out the technology to let you charge up like instantly, it is people are going to have. They're going to plan their lives a little different in terms of how they road trip. That is true, you know. And I wonder if it'll be almost back to the future, right? You think about Route 66—you went along. And you, you you drove and stayed, and maybe that and that might be something really interesting. Maybe that's kind of you know be on the road, get out there, see America. Now that could be a good outcome, I believe, where you're kind of out there, and maybe it is. Hey, uh, you know, bed and breakfast, charge overnight, get yourself some breakfast, and then head on. You know, so that's that's really interesting, and that uh, might be just a silver lining. And not that it's a bad outcome. I shouldn't say that. I don't want to vilify electric cars. We do need to find something more sustainable, so that's true. But uh, I do think that's going to be really interesting. Um, so I, I had a comment well, there. Mm-hmm. I, I had a comment there on the uh, the driverless cars at the Amazon. I just kind of had a quick joke, kind of funny. Okay, the driverless Amazon cars. Now they got a catapult. They just slingshot your stuff to the front porch. <laughs> <Anyway>. Nice. <laughs> better the- than drones, buddy. Better than drones. <laughs> my my only issue on the driverless cars is how do you program them, because a car that drives in Ohio is going to be different than a car that drives in California, because it's going to have to detect the smell, and realize sure. that there's going to be some events where you need to slow down. True. Yeah. That's a good point. I don't know if anybody reads that for I like Matt's comment with the catapult and the drones. There's a great episode, and I'm kind of a side by note, of course, but... Uh, There's a great episode of the X-Files in their final season, which was either 10 or 11, I think it was 11, and they did the entire episode based on uh, technology. Drones were involved in tipping and robots. Chris, you would, I think, get a charge out of it just from the standpoint of uh, it kind of gives a flash forward of the way things could be at some points with restaurants or what have you, so just something to consider. And if any of you haven't had the opportunity, I had this the other night, go sit. person that I was with, she was so happy to show me that her her car could play Trans-Siberian Orchestra with the lights and the flashing and the whatever outside the car, just in a Tesla. Uh, I went and wow. you know, we sat in it. It was like sitting in an arcade. There's Tempest going on the, on the giant monitors and whatever else. It, it's it's amazing what Elon Musk is thinking of. I can only imagine what the next generation is out older cars as come up a few minutes ago here. Uh, you know, again, wh- when I'm able to hit a next level here and and, ha- and live the dream of getting a 75 lime green uh, town car restored, uh, they will pry that from, my like, cold, dead hands I'll tell you. I refer everybody to the lyrics of Red Bart Shedda. If anybody thinks I'm ever going to give that sucker up when I get it. So, uh, there is, uh, there is that. There are those of us that aren't going to want to give up the treasures that we do have at that point in time. But, uh, can I jump in real quick? I just have a question for the group. If anyone's I know this whole, uh, with, uh, uh, demand for cars and the demand, supply and demand here. Has anyone researched, like, buying a car or anything with the, and I, and I, my own perspective is I can just see this happening where car dealerships have, say, lost so much money because of, you know, supply and demand, but, uh, I, I wonder if going forward, the only way to get a car is you are ordering and you got no negotiating power. I think the days of going in and negotiating, beating up the salesman, that those are over. I think it's almost we will just have to put an order in for a car to get what you want, and then maybe you built to order. I don't know. Just uh, thoughts. We're already there. I mean, with the chip shortages and stuff, look at it, what it's like getting a car now. I mean, I know people that are buying and getting on waiting lists. So I think we're already there. I'm not sure it's ever going to go back completely to where it was. There is no haggling anywhere anymore. You can't even haggle with the flea market. Why would they let you haggle with a car dealership I mean, anymore, guys? You can you can do that now if you go up off of Fortune 2, There is a car vending machine that you order your oh, car. The yeah, point in that car and you get the car. Yeah, right. they it's I I know in talking to dealership people, you know, um, you know, I wonder about dealerships themselves. You know their status. Because you know the, 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 they have fought, like even in places like Ohio, you know they fought. The lobbyists fought allowing Tesla to direct sell cars. The Ohio law, because of the lobbying efforts, was built so that to protect the dealerships. Um, so no. they were trying to force Tesla to have dealerships, like under the traditional Detroit model. Um, I can yeah. tell you, the big auto companies. I mean, they they want to they want to get rid of dealerships, man. They they're sick and tired of having to deal with and negotiate with local Joe Bag of Donuts who owns that Chevy dealership. They want to go to build on demand. Here's the price. We'll deliver it to you. Um, it's, you know, I think that there's just no way past that. I think the date you're going to see dealerships become more and more rare. Um, they'll be forcing them out. Um, they'll be looking to sort of uh, make them just local Corporate-owned service points, um, and, and you know, and also you, you see this now in the um, in the auto industry. You know, Tesla came up. You've got Fisker still out there trying to to, to launch. You've got um, that new uh, the Motor Trend Truck of the Year is an electric pickup um, by a company that's never had a car. Um, uh, what's it called? It, it, Revian, right? ready and you look it up as a truck of the year for twenty twenty two. Um and I actually driving to New Hampshire drove past one on I ninety. First time I ever saw one in the wild. Um it was chugging along and I passed it and I looked you know I told my daughter I go, look, it's one of those brand new you've never even seen one. Um I I wonder if we're we're almost going to even get to the early days of automobile manufacturing where there weren't the big three or you know what not, there were thousands, hundreds, you know, I mean you, there was a point in, you know, the early 20th century, you could buy a Galloway, you know, made in Scotland. <laughs> I mean, you could buy a car, Um, you know, there were so many manufacturers of them. I, I just think because they're becoming less about internal combustible engines and more just computers with wheels, just about anybody can build a damn car at this point. I mean, it's, it's, if you think about it, the amount of parts involved now are getting more, less and less. You've got to, computer a monitor some you know some basic ste- it's not hard to build a car now so i wouldn't be surprised if we go back to where we started in automobiles where we've got you know hundreds of car companies you know that and, and somebody's making a specialized one that you know and they make 100 cars a year you can't even they are possible and if that's the case i'm telling you I, I want i want to see bootleg names out there what are you driving it's a scutless. i want to see more of that kind of stuff it, to that extent that, yes, if you go to different, uh, different car museums, that, okay, Anthony and I went to one, the Pierce Arrow Museum in Buffalo. I don't know if I'm allowed to say names or not, but we found wow. God, different, different cars. Like, for example, the Playboy. There was a car okay. made in Buffalo named the Playboy. There was 87 of them made, I believe, but that was where the Playboy empire came from. You have to have bought one of those cars. And there were so many different makes and models of cars that were in that museum that I have never heard of. I mean, an electric car in 1902. I can show you a picture of it if you want. They said electric cars wow. were made for women. That technology has been around, but everybody had their own. And I think you're right on that where they, there's going to be a lot more different car companies. Because the big three are coming up with just SUVs and trucks. Cars are taking a a side path, I guess you could say, where how many cars does Chevy actually make anymore? How many cars does Ford actually make anymore? Okay, Dodge has Challenger and Charger, but they're not making cars. And people still like cars. It's just they're not making them as much anymore. Well... It, it, so that's a chicken and egg thing, right? I mean, you say people like cars. No, they yeah, don't. I mean, if they did, they'd make them. Um, people's taste of shit. And I, I, my Cadillac is the only car Cadillac makes now. It's a, it's a CT5. That's it. It's a mid sized smaller, sporty. Everything else Cadillac makes is a truck. I, did anybody see yeah. the point that Cadillac only made one car, and it was a medium-sized car? The only only car Ford makes anymore is the Mustang. The only car Chevy makes anymore is the Camaro. Or the Corvette. And that's, okay, I like cars. You're not going to get your GTO anymore. You're not going to get your uh, Trans Am anymore. You're not going to get those anymore. And that's just kind of, I think, kind of wrong. But that's where you're going to get like you were saying, 50 different automakers out there, that somebody's going to say, yeah, I still want a car, and make it themselves, and then start selling it. In a broad kind of a way, I, I think this actually probably carries over to a lot of the things that we're going to be looking at here. I think maybe you could say in a lot of different ways that the future is niche. It's going to be different things here, people who like cars, people who like this kinds of things, and you're going to just find smaller niches as opposed to larger You know, mass commodity type things. I I wouldn't be surprised if you saw that in uh, many of the areas of life in the next uh, 15 years.